This is Mark Lemley from Stanford Law School, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. This is episode 38 of IP Fridays. Today we have an interview with a patent attorney turned inventor who invented a program called Patent Advisor. Then we have the latest news on a Twitter lawsuit. Are your private messages on Twitter really private? And then we have news from the United States Patent and Trademark Office opening two new regional offices. So let's start with this one. Three years ago, the United States Patent and Trademark Office started expanding its physical presence across the country and uh, opened two regional offices that are currently already operating in Detroit and in Denver. And over the next six weeks, the USPTO will open permanent offices in two new locations, namely the Silicon Valley Regional Office in San Jose and on October 15th, the Texas Regional Office in Dallas that will open on November 9th. The USPTO follows several goals in opening these regional offices. First of all, they can recruit new examiners to work on the backlog of unexamined patents. And of course, they can also bring the services of the USPTO to the regional industrial areas of the US. So, Trisha and Ken, let's hear about whether Twitter private messages are really private. Thank you, Rolf. Big news in the world of social media. You send a direct and what you think is a private message via Twitter, thinking no one else will see it except the person you sent it to. But is that really the case? Trisha Volpe with Barnes & Thornburg is here with more. Trisha, a lawsuit was filed last month that suggests your Twitter direct messages might not be private. That's right. Uh, The lawsuit was filed in federal court in San Francisco, alleging that Twitter, the 140-character social media giant, has been, quote, surreptitiously eavesdropping on people who send private Twitter messages, the plaintiff calling this a violation of federal and state privacy laws, namely the Electronic Communications Privacy Act and the California Invasion of Privacy Act. And the allegations don't stop at eavesdropping. The lawsuit goes on to say that Twitter has been systematically intercepting, reading, and even altering messages without the knowledge or consent of users. So how did this allegedly work? Well, it is complicated. Twitter will scan messages, according to this lawsuit, to replace a URL someone sent by direct message with a custom hyperlink of its own. The lawsuit alleges Twitter does that to show it is the source of the web traffic and to generate better advertising rates as a result. But what's actually making the change? 
Twitter algorithms, not someone, a person, a human, going in and reading your private Twitter messages. Nevertheless, the named plaintiff in this suit says that's wrong. The lawsuit is seeking class action status. According to its website, Twitter has more than 300 million active monthly users. Now, Twitter has responded publicly to this lawsuit, saying it believes the claims are meritless and intends to fight them. That response was published by USA Today. So the lawsuit brings up some interesting issues that will have to be sorted out. Sure. Is an algorithm just like Spellcheck? That's also an automated program that changes things for you or scans for keywords, and no one really objects to that. And what about the privacy concern? Twitter is a social media network after all, social by nature, direct messages and all. But this lawsuit suggests Twitter never got users' consent to read these messages, and that is allegedly an invasion of privacy. And even if it's just an algorithm listening or watching, automated scanning, so to speak, maybe that's enough to cause harm. Thanks very much, Trisha. You're welcome. Thank you, Trisha, for being back on the show. So, Ken, you had the chance to interview Christopher Holt, who is a patent attorney and inventor of the program Patent Advisor. Ralph, today we are talking about the lawyer as an inventor. Patent lawyers spend countless hours drafting claims and advising their clients how to steer clear of potential problems. However, patent lawyers can be inventors too and stand to gain from their technical insight into the law coupled with their drive for entrepreneurship. Today, we are joined by Christopher Holt, a patent attorney located here in the Twin Cities, who is also the inventor of Patent Advisor, marketed and sold as a suite of patent analytic tools by Reed Technology, a LexisNexis business unit. Christopher holds a BA in physics from Southwestern College and a JD from the University of Kansas School of Law. We're also joined today by Rod Wittenberg, the Director of Sales North America for Reed Technology and Information Services, who will shed light on the commercialization process for software, and in particular, Patent Advisor. Gentlemen, welcome to IP Fridays. Thanks, Ken. Excellent. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, sure. I grew up uh, actually in, in western Kansas, uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, in a small town of about 1,200 people. And it was at a, a, a career uh, event at my high school when uh, a local attorney from town suggested that uh, uh, maybe I should be a patent attorney. So I decided at that time that that was a good idea. But uh, it was probably another two or three years after that before I actually knew what a patent was. So uh, uh, I, I decided I wanted to be a patent attorney before I even really knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, uh, like you mentioned in the intro, uh, I went to Southwestern College in Kansas, got a physics degree, went to the University of Kansas, uh, intending to become a patent attorney, and then uh, practiced uh, in Minnesota for 12 or 13 uh, years at a boutique uh, patent prosecution only firm in downtown Minneapolis. Excellent. And what inspired you to build Patent Advisor? Is this your first invention? No. <laughs> and that's funny. Uh, uh, listeners could probably do a patent search. And, and find uh, uh, my first invention, which is which is a lot sillier and, and more fun uh, than Patent Advisor. Um, but uh, uh, my real my real first uh, attempt to to start a business, although I didn't set out to to start a business. I mean, really, uh, what I had was a situation where 
Um, I only prosecuted patent applications, and uh, a client of ours in the Minneapolis area uh, had us file a cluster of about 12 cases, and I ended up prosecuting all of those cases, mostly with the same examiner. And in the course of that time, uh, you know, I, I started to think, wow, I really know a lot about how this examiner likes to operate. Um, you know, and, and if any of my friends ever have this examiner, I could give them uh, some pretty good tips. And, you know, that got me thinking that uh, it's kind of inefficient uh, not to know uh, an examiner's preferences for prosecution. So, you know, I, I did an experiment where uh, very early in the case, I asked the examiner, I said, um, so how do you usually like to handle prosecution? Is it usually short? Uh, do you usually require lots of back and forth, or do you usually make a, a, a quick decision? Or I mean, what, what, how does it usually go for you? Um, and, you know, they, they didn't really want to tell me anything. I thought that was a very strange question. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it dawned on me that uh, if you knew something uh, about your examiner and how they, they like to handle prosecution, that it would be a lot more efficient rather than starting from scratch and, and using trial and error every time. Can you give our listeners a, a quick summary of what patent advisor is, you know, not getting into the claims of any particular patent that, uh, that is, but just what what is it all about? Yeah, I mean, originally, the original vision that I had was, wouldn't it be cool if you could create a statistical profile of every examiner that really told you through numbers what the experiences were of other attorneys uh, with the examiner. So, for example, the most basic being uh, allowance rate. So how often does this examiner usually allow cases, and how often do they not? And what I suspected early on was is that there are some examiners uh, that allow cases almost all the time and some examiners that uh, rarely ever allow cases. And, and, you know, those were the kinds of trends that we wanted to pull out as long as and also everything in between. So we started out as as just profiling uh, examiners statistically and uh, also groups of examiners. But really, we found that that data can be used in a lot of different ways. We can also show uh, prosecution statistics for companies, uh, for law firms. There's lots of different ways to drill into the data. So pre-grant U.S. Patent Office Analytics, that's, that's sort of where we operate. And a, probably a, there's a lot of big data that figures into that. Uh, what does big data mean to you, and 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 what does Patent Advisor do uh, in connection with the, the big data? How how robust is it? Yeah, big data to me means headache, uh, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm, yes. um, because when you think of the the U.S. Patent Office, and I think most of your listeners that that uh, interact with the Patent Office on a regular basis. You know, it's such a large organization. I mean, now there are 8,000 examiners about uh, issuing office actions every day, and there's just so much information that that they uh, uh, send out the doors, not to mention uh, trying to go backwards and collect all that information from the last, you know, 15 years. And then there's a lot of inconsistency and messiness in that data, so what big data means to me is it's a starting place. Um, data in and of itself is, is uh, you know, it's not very useful. In order for it to be useful, you know, you need to uh, uh, move through it and extract knowledge. And if that knowledge can be used to change your behavior, 
Uh, and if that change in behavior leads to a benefit, then you have something of value. Otherwise, information for its own sake is not really worth that much, in, in my my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, as a lawyer turned inventor turned entrepreneur, you must have hit some hurdles along the way as you attempted to commercialize your product. Can you share some advice with our listeners about how to avoid some of the most common hurdles? Hey, my biggest my biggest hurdle was the fact that I, I'm not a businessman, and, and really, nor did I ever set out to be one. Mm-hmm. Um, by by getting into patent office analytics and, and pre-grant analytics, you know, uh, uh, my mission was to uh, propagate information that would enable the patent office and the patent system uh, to become more efficient. Uh, and you know, I, I even in my mind, it was it was uh, the goal of Wow, if if you could make the patent office, you know, 30% more efficient, imagine the impact that would have on the U.S. economy. And the idea of of having the uh, the potential to impact the economy was exciting to me. So I was very mission driven, and I, I still am so. But with no business knowledge, it was critical for me, and that would be my suggestion that uh, you find connections to people that understand uh, business and understand sales. Uh, and I was fortunate uh, enough to make some good connections in an entrepreneurship program uh, in Minneapolis, that, and that led me to uh, uh, team with and, and work with some people that understood business well, and that made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you select Retech uh, as the organization to commercialize uh, Patent Advisor? You know, uh, honestly, being in Minneapolis, um, you know, there's another uh, legal information service provider here in Minneapolis that, that seems like it would make the most sense. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it really was, was in large part uh, the fact that the subsidiary of Retech, uh, the subsidiary of LexisNexis, has a relationship uh, with the patent office that's, that's longstanding. And I was excited about that because, not because we could get, access to data that other people couldn't get because that's that's not the case. But they have contacts in the patent office that allow me to ask the questions uh, that I've always wanted to ask and to acquire the knowledge that would help me to improve our statistics and to improve our, our reports and our, our products. And th- that was the initial thing that, that drew me to Retech. But, but uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things that I've discovered along the way as well. And we're lucky to have a representative from Retech on the line now, uh, Rod Wittenberg. Uh, Rod, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what Retech does? Sure, Ken, and thanks for having us on the call today. It's great to be able to share some of what Chris has been doing. It's been a, a real exciting time for us at Retech to uh, you know, adopt a much more entrepreneurial uh, approach to software and supporting clients in the, in the legal industry with a tool like Patent Advisor. Uh, I'm a recovering attorney. Ah. Uh, In the 90s, I went to law school and found that my calling was not practicing tax law like my father, but doing more business-oriented, solutions-oriented service to corporations and law firms. Uh, And so I had worked with the LexisNexis company in law school, and I found that what Lexis was doing in the 90s was transforming the research paradigm. Uh, as many of us remember, 
you could walk into a huge law firm many years ago and see a 10,000 square foot or larger space dedicated to books. And what I saw at that time in the early 90s was a, a way to help organizations transform not just the cost of managing a library, but the way in which they performed research. So I worked with a number of small to mid-sized law firms and worked through the process of convincing them that change was actually going to be good and that by not going to the local law library and not stocking their shelves uh, with volumes of books that would only be used occasionally, they could have one of the largest libraries ever available, uh, made available to them in a footprint on their desktop uh, for a nominal fee. So my experience is really about helping law firms change the way uh, that they do business. And for 20 plus years, uh, I've gotten a lot of gray hairs by trying to help lawyers make a change in the technology area. That's interesting. Now, why did Retech choose to commercialize a patent advisor? What were the steps in, in bringing it to market? Sure. And, and I, I think Chris touched upon it. You know, Retech has been in the business of transforming data for 50 plus years. And uh, this organization has one of the longest running contracts with the Department of Commerce, namely the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, we've been providing various data-related services to the office uh, that help in the patent application process. So I, I think it was a, a natural fit from uh, we're on the pre-grant side helping the patent office. We also see a tremendous, what I would call a, a hyperactivity uh, in the M&A space related to patents. And, and for that reason, uh, we know that as a company, we have to continue to strengthen our, our portfolio. Uh, so we own the right to sort of sell the LexisNexis legacy products, Total Patent, which is a research product, Patent Optimizer, which is a, a proofreading product, uh, and PairWatch, which is a pair monitoring uh, and alert service. And so when we look at the four key disciplines in the patent space today, uh, research, which again, something like a total patent, um, services, things like translations, uh, IP management software, which we know is docketing, and perhaps the newest area, analytics. We see analytics as being one of the great growth opportunities because it's unfolding right before our eyes. And the service that Chris has built wasn't necessarily built with a commercialization um, in mind. It was built with a mission to solve a business problem. We've just happened to uncover a number of elements that make it a strong commercial play uh, in both the law firm and the corporate IP practice. Mm-hmm. Now, Rod uh, or Chris, could you share with us some examples of some cases for our listeners where a patent advisor was uh, proven to be extremely useful? Yeah, I, Chris, I can, do you want to take I the first step? Sure. Sure. I, I would say, I mean, look, uh, benchmarking is a good way to look at it. So when I was an attorney, if I had, uh, let's suppose I'd been working on trying to get a patent uh, from the and if the client calls me and says, hey, how is it going? Is it going well or is it not going well? I mean, what do you really know to tell the client in terms of 
whether it's going well or not going well. The only way you can really answer that question is to know whether, you know, is it normal for the examiner to take this long? Is it normal for it to require this much, much cost at this point in the process? Because in the patent office, there's tremendous variation from one examiner to the next. So if you don't know what's normal for the examiner you're dealing with, you really don't know how well you're doing. And that also goes, then, if you, if you go look bigger picture, then the question is, is my law firm doing a good job? You know, how would you answer that question before? Or how would you answer the question, is this a good law firm? Or are we good at getting to patents? You know, you can't really answer those questions unless you have some relativity. And that's where Patent Advisor comes in, is we provide the relativity that enables you to measure performance, to measure the process, and to just know how well it's going. And uh, then the other key uh, point is, is when it's not going well, and when you discover that it's not going well, we want to help our customers identify a better way. So, for example, if your examiner has a 10% allowance rate and takes, you know, four years to allow patents, if you take the path of least resistance, you know, obviously there's a 9% chance that you're not going to get a patent. So a better approach is to say, okay, what changes might I make in the process in order to improve uh, the likelihood of getting a patent. And that's really where uh, Patent Advisor has evolved, not just with telling you, uh, hey, here's the examiner you have and, and uh, uh, what their statistics are, or here's your group, uh, but instead also, you know, in light of how it's going, in light of what has happened to date, you know, what other strategies or what other uh, decisions might you make that would lead to, to a better outcome. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just provide information. We want to provide you know, a guidebook so that you can learn best practices to get better results. If I could supplement that, when Chris and I first started working together, Chris had this three-layer approach uh, from a, hierarch- a hierarchical perspective. He said the first layer of using Patent Advisor is in the trenches. So from a day-to-day perspective, if you get an office action, use Patent Advisor to pull a report on an examiner to understand that examiner's tendencies. And then he took it up a layer and he said there's a management layer. So if you are a corporate counsel looking to manage your outside counsel and you want to understand how your outside counsel is working, look at the broad array of applications that each outside counsel has and study the dynamics and performance of each outside counsel. And lastly, he said, there's a super high layer, which is the policy layer. And this was really tied to his core mission. If there are aspects of the office that are presenting really large challenges. So we know that in the office today, the concept of Alice is not lost on any patent practitioner. Um, That's a policy layer. And Chris's perspective was there are times in which use, the use of Patent Advisor may inform people on how to change policy. I, I think it's, it, it's really interesting because it was a mission that, that formed into a number of, of different elements. Um, now, just to, to turn it on its head a little bit, when I look at this on the commercial side, um, from a function perspective, 
what I do see is that we're able to work with associates, uh, we're able to work with partners in a law firm, and now we're able to work really closely with the business development and marketing professionals in a law firm. Um, and then on the corporate side, uh, we are working with the, the inside counsel. Uh, we're working with the general counsel's office. Uh, and in some cases, we're even working with the finance and operation arms uh, who see ways in which they can transform their practice. Uh, again, this is all unfolding before our eyes because big data is really just becoming valuable um, in the legal industry. Yes, yes, and we, we're hearing about big data almost every day. Uh, there's a lot of information out there to harness, and it sounds like the patent advisor is a great tool uh, for uh, patent practitioners. Um, how has the product evolved over the past 18 months, and, and where do you think it's heading as we head into uh, the upcoming years? I think uh, an important development in the last 18 months is we've really moved past uh, interesting analytics and into very, very practical analytics. And the path that has led us there is what we call our private data management service. So for a corporation, we monitor all of their cases and uh, all of their new filings uh, on their behalf and provide analytics uh, uh, back to back to the corporation. And so that puts us in a position to build some products with, with uh, broader implications. So, for example, um, you know, perhaps a, uh, we, we have been working on, on a system that helps with, you know, managing due dates or a system that uh, helps with uh, managing budget. You know, both of those things are sort of process-oriented, uh, very practical, but you can see we're layering in the analytics you know, takes those uh, daily tasks and and uh, supplements, uh, you know, decision-making information right at the point uh, where decisions are being made. So one of the exciting developments in the last 18 months is we're now beginning to layer uh, our really cool analytics directly into solutions that will help uh, corporations and law firms uh, manage processes around uh, patent prosecution. So I'm excited about that. Very, very interesting. And how do you keep the product current? Are there maintenance, regular maintenance that uh, occurs? And and how does how does how does the product evolve uh, from month to month? Let's say. Right, and the patent at the core, at the heart of the patent advisor system, is an automated system that uh, myself and and uh, my partners at the time, began building seven years ago, where we are able to get patent data from a variety of different sources, and it will automatically flow into the system, uh, get processed, and go right into the database. And so one of the key sources is that um, uh, the patent office has a contract uh, with ReadTech uh, to provide uh, application information to the public. So ReadTech gets uh, patent file information from the patent office and republishes it in a depository to the public. And as that information comes in, we also uh, process, that information, process that information and update all of the, the application files in our system and then therefore update all of our, our statistics. 
So it is a challenge. I mean, there are literally uh, millions of patent applications that we have to monitor. Uh, and we, we really do that by, uh, rather than checking each application all the time for an update, you know, we've spent seven years uh, predicting when a specific application is likely to have had an update. So if something happened in an application recently, um, depending on the event, we don't necessarily need to check it again today or even next week or the week after. So where we have, where we have gotten uh, good at updating is, is knowing when to check cases for updates so that uh, we can minimize the checking that we do and we can keep our, our system extremely up-to-date and, and extremely complete. For the most part, you know, we're, we're within um, 30 days on uh, all of the, the applications monitored in our system, and so therefore our, our statistics are, are very uh, recent. Fascinating. Now, Rod, uh, where could people go if they want to learn more about Patent Advisor? Sure. Uh, they can go to www.patentadvisor.com, or they could go to the home uh, page of the readtech.com website. Excellent. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Rod, for your contributions today to IP Fridays. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Very kind. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.